Well, good morning. Good morning to everyone in Farmington Hills. So glad that you guys can join us today. We're one church in two locations, and so glad to have Farmington Hills with us as well. Today, we're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we're going to focus on the section of book of Acts where the gospel gospel begins to go global to the ends of the earth. And we're so grateful for our missionaries that we got to hear from this morning. And every week we'll get to hear from one of our different global partners as we move forward in this series. But before we go any further, let's go before our Lord and pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless sons, Jesus' name. God, thank you for what you did by sending your son and then sending your gospel to the ends of the earth. God, if you wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't be one of your people today. And we're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your mission. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. You know what they need. You know where they are. You know what they are going through. Minister to their hearts today. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Growing up, I used to love to play a game called Uno. Anybody ever played Uno? It's a ton of fun. I still like to play a little Uno. Where if you've ever played Uno, you know there are some basic essential rules to the game of Uno. No matter where you go or who you're playing with, these essential rules remain the same. But then there's these other rules called the house rules, and they vary according to different houses and according to uh, different traditions and geography, and when you get a group of people together and everyone brings their own house rules, before you know it, there can be a little tension in the game, and usually someone has to call time out and focus us back on the essentials of the game because we'll drift away from the essentials and get confused by these house rules and even start judging other people by our house rules before you notice all chaos and out of control. Well, the same thing can happen in God's church. We can all show up with various house rules, various things that we take very seriously or we're very passionate about, but these things aren't necessary to be Christians. These things aren't necessary to be followers of Christ, but these are things that we might be very passionate about. Things such as maybe how people dress. You know, some environments, the, the house rules say that everybody needs to be cool and hip, and so everybody needs to dress cool and hip because the spirit isn't going to come unless the pastor and everybody's dressed up cool and hip. Right? Or in some places it needs to be more formal. And everybody knows that when Jesus comes back, he's going to be wearing a suit. And so because of that, everybody needs to be more formal. And we put those house rules and then there can be this back and forth. Or maybe house rules about the version of the Bible that people use. Or, or, or house rules about, you, you name it, we, we find a way to come up with these, these various house rules. And before you know it, if we're not careful, we're not careful, we can drift away from the essentials. And God has called us to much more than our preferences and our house rules. God has called his church to go to the ends of the earth. God has called his church to go to the nations where we will engage people who don't understand our house rules, who have different house rules of their own. And if we're going to really be effective at reaching them, we have to focus on the essentials and focus on the gospel what God has ultimately called us to. 
as we come to our text today, Acts 15, the focus is at a church in an area called Antioch. And this is a very diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Uh, people in this church are from African descent and European descent and Jewish descent. And because of that, these various people at the church at Antioch have brought their various house rules. And now there's, being, there's beginning to be a little tension. The, the Jewish culture in this context represents the dominant culture in this case. And the question becomes, does everyone else now have to submit to the house rules of, of, of the Jewish tradition? And it gets real messy, but there's going to be some hope. They're going to show us basically a master class of conflict resolution, how to work through these kind of conflicts when the church gets confused. And as we come to our text, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a confused church at Antioch, but we're going to see them work through it. And that's the question that we're going to focus on today. What should we do when the church is confused? Sometimes the church gets confused. People have different views, different backgrounds, different house rules, and sometimes the church can get a little confused. And we see this in, in Acts at the church at Antioch. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, this is a big deal, you cannot be saved. This is serious. This is a salvation issue. They've elevated this to a very, very high issue. So this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. The, the group, this group called the Judaizers, they came down from Judea to Antioch, and now they're telling these new uh, Gentile, non-Jewish believers that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. According to uh, first century Judaism, and for even Judaism today, there's this practice of the 613 laws called the misvote. These, these 613 laws called the misvote, in order to, to be a, a practicing uh, a Jewish um, Judaism follower, to, to be uh, practicing this uh, correctly according to Judaism, you must keep the 613 laws of the misvote. This is very serious, and one of them is circumcision. Now the question becomes, do the new Gentile believers have to keep these laws? And Paul and Barnabas say no. They say, no, we've been saved by grace through faith. Jesus paid it all on the cross. The Gentile believers do not have to keep these laws, but this causes a sharp dispute. So the church is confused. So what should we do when the church is confused? The first thing that we see is that when the church is confused, we should prioritize collaboration. When the church is confused... We should prioritize collaboration. We need to work together. We need to come together and put our heads together and, and see what God has for us. We got to humble ourselves and take a step back. And what we're going to see is that the church doesn't uh, focus on one person, one leader to figure this out. No, that's a collaborative work to try to get to the bottom of this question. Let's go to Acts 15 uh, verse 2. And you're going to see here 
that the church sends Paul and Barnabas to try to get to the bottom of this thing. So, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And so they're going to go talk to some other church leaders and try to get to the bottom of this thing. They're not going to try to figure it out on their own. The church is in a little friction. And so let's seek an outside perspective. And so this conflict is taking place in the church at Antioch, but they're going to go to Jerusalem to get some outside perspective to try to get to the bottom of this thing. And so let's continue in our text. It says, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything. So one thing we see here when they show up to the church in Jerusalem, there's hospitality, there's, there's a welcome, there's kindness, there's fidelity between these, these brothers and sisters as they try to work through this thing. You see uh, the apostles, you see Barnabas and Paul giving a good report. They're sharing about what God has been doing through the Gentiles. People have been coming to faith. People have been coming to know Jesus. The Gentiles have been filled with the Holy Spirit, so they have a good report. And so there's a report. Let's continue. And then there's a little conflict and a little debate. And so some believers from, from the party of the Pharisees, and that's interesting. These are believers from the party of the Pharisees. So these are people that have claimed to place their faith in Jesus but they still are connected to the party of the Pharisees, so they still are having a hard time letting go of the law and the traditions and their house rules. And so then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And so this is a very strong point that they're making. That if they're going to be a part of this fellowship, if they're going to be a part of this group, they have to follow these traditions and house rules that have been in place for years. They have to follow all 613 laws if they're going to be a part of this fellowship and be accepted by God. And so there's some hospitality. There's a greeting. There's a welcome. There's a report. Then there's a little bit of back and forth and debate. And now it says the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. There's a meeting of the minds. Let's, let's get together and figure this thing out. This is similar. This is actually, this is exactly the, the mode of church government that Ward Church applies to our church. This is what we call a Presbyterian church government. I'm gonna give you a little Presbyterian one-on-one, just a little bit. And essentially, uh, according to the Presbyterian tradition, and structure, we submit to multiple elders. So uh, we, we don't just have one uh, elder. We have multiple elders in our church. Uh, there's, there's three courts of elders. And so you have the local court of elders called the session. And those are actually the elders that you vote for. And that's what we were talking about earlier when Jenny said nominate uh, people to become elders. That first level of elders is called the session. That's the local el- those are the local elders that you actually submit and vote for. And then you have a regional level of elders called the presbytery that, that uh, representatives from each of the 57 churches in our region get together. Uh, and that's our regional level of elders. I mean, there's also a global level of elders called the General Assembly, and that group gets together once a year. And we work through things. Sometimes there's a little debate and back and forth, 
but we find that as a healthy way of setting accountability for the church by having those multiple levels of eldership. And that's what we're seeing in Acts 15. We're seeing a plurality of elders. And in our denomination, uh, we go by a motto of in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, clarity. And so we find agreement on the common essentials of the gospel. But there are some non-essentials. We have liberty in those non-essentials. But in all things, there's charity and love for one another. And so what you're seeing in Acts 15 is the foundation of why we are Presbyterian and how we came, to, came up with the Presbyterian form of government. And so when the church is confused, this kind of collaboration is very helpful. Also, when the church is confused, we should prioritize God's mission. When the church is confused, we should prioritize God's mission. The church has been called to a beautiful, amazing mission. The world needs God's church. Just the things that we've seen in the last couple of weeks in the news and the things that we've seen in Michigan State, God has called his church to be a light in a dark world. And so when we get confused and we don't know what to do, remember God has called his people to a great mission. And we see that here in in Acts 15 as well. It says, after much discussion... Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Essentially, he's saying this is the most important thing, that these brothers and sisters would hear the gospel message and believe, that God had this plan set out many years ago that he would take his gospel and his good news message to the ends of the earth. Peter is trying to refocus this confused bunch back on the mission of the gospel. And he says, God knows the heart, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. This is important. God accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So God has accepted them. How can we reject them? If God has accepted them, and we know that God has accepted them because he has given them the Holy Spirit. He says, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. These are God's people too. We don't have the same house rules. We don't have the same traditions. But God has approved of them and accepted them, and we know that because he has given them the Holy Spirit just as he has given the Holy Spirit to us. In other words, we cannot remove and reject what God has already redeemed and accepted. In this case, in, 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 in Antioch, these people have already been redeemed. These people have already been accepted by God, and we cannot remove and reject who God has already redeemed and accepted. That would be like me coming to your birthday party and kicking out your guest according to some rules that I have set up. I can't come to your birthday party and kick out your guest for a couple of reasons. One, they're not my guest, they're your guest. Two, that's not my house, that's your house, and therefore I can't go in and remove and reject the people that you've already accepted. I am overstepping my jurisdiction and my authority at that point. And the same thing 
goes for God's people. We cannot remove and reject what God has approved and accepted. And that's the case that Peter is trying to make in this passage, that these people have already accepted, been accepted by God. The next thing we do when the church is confused is we prioritize listening. We should prioritize listening. Now, there's time and space. We see here in, in the story that people do talk. They do share their perspective. They do share their point of view on this thing. But there's also a moment of listening. I want us to focus on, on this text right here. It says, the whole assembly became silent. And they listened. The whole assembly became silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. There's great power in hearing from the other side. If we just slow down just enough and quiet down just enough, we'll get better understanding of the other side and the other perspective. And we see that happening here in, in Jerusalem. The people actually take some time to slow down and listen. And so what should we do when the church is confused? We should slow down, prioritize listening. Next, when the church is confused, we should, admit, we should submit ourselves to the truth of God's word. When the church is confused, we should submit ourselves to the truth of God's word. Uh, pastor Tony Evans, a pastor that I respect and love, always says this. He says, there are two opinions, God's opinion and everybody else. There's two opinions, God's opinion and everyone else. And when we are confused about something, it would benefit us to submit ourselves under the authority of God's word. God's word is the ultimate authority in our lives, and God's word is the ultimate authority in our church. And we're going to see James actually stand up in this scenario and he's going to quote God's word. He's going to quote the prophet Amos. And that's going to help this group that's been confused focus a little bit more. They're going to find some clarity. They're going to see that actually what's happening through the Gentiles is in agreement with God's word. It says the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles. And that's the part that James is trying to get them to understand. That God's global mission is for all nations. It's for everybody. Not just for that subset of Jewish believers. Which praise be to God for that initial set of Jewish believers that God revealed himself to. But this thing is going global, and that's what, the, that, that, that's what James is trying to get his brothers and sisters to see. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things known from long ago. And so James quotes the word of God. And when we are confused, we just need to submit ourselves to the word of God. An application question for you when you, you, know, you feel a level of confusion is, what does God have to say about this? I've heard 
all of the other opinions. I've heard what everyone else has to say about this. But what does God have to say about this? When a church is confused, we should submit ourselves to God's word. And then next, when the church is confused, we should return to the good news. When the church is confused, when we can't figure out all these fine details about these various things, when the church is confused, we should focus on the gospel. Take it back to the basics. Take it back to the ABCs. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming back again. When the church is confused, we should focus on the, on the good news. And what we're beginning to see in our passage is that this is, this is a gospel issue. Because it seems like there's a group of people trying to add to the gospel. They're trying to say that what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. And so we see this actually referenced in the book of Galatians as well. This conflict shows up in the book of Galatians. And Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're not turning to a different gospel, is, which is really no gospel. Paul goes bold. He says, this gospel that's adding to the grace of God, that's adding to the finished work of Christ, this is actually no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And this is where he really gets bold. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's strong language. If someone is adding to the finished work of Christ, Paul is talking to his opponents in this scenario. He says, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said now, I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is taking a strong stance here because the, the Judaizers in this case, they're adding a burden to God's people. These people felt free. These people were redeemed by the grace of God. These people felt hope. They felt loved and accepted by God. And then someone comes along and says, yeah, but you also got to keep this rule and that rule and that rule and that rule. And it's not good news anymore. Now it's a burden. I, I felt welcomed and accepted, but now you're throwing a bunch of rules on me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't fall for that. The gospel that you heard is the true gospel. And we see this continuing in Acts 15. Now then, why do you try to test God this is, uh, this is Peter talking to his opponents. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We haven't been able to keep all of those 613 laws. You know how we've been failing at this thing, and if we haven't been able to do it and we grew up in this tradition, how are you now going to throw that burden on people who didn't even grow up in that tradition? You're putting a yoke on them. And so he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We've been saved by grace and they have been saved by grace. 
Friends, when we add to the good news, the good news stops being good. When we add to the good news, the good news stops being good. God doesn't need you to help him save you. When he said it was finished, he meant it. When he said it is finished, he meant it. When he died and shed his blood on that cross, that was enough. Now, we, we, we do practice works, but those works are a result of our faith, right? And so we, we work from approval, not for approval. And by the grace of God, we are saved. And by the grace of God, we grow and mature. But we're saved by grace. You ever been uh, wanting to watch a TV show or something and you have a subscription to a network and you think you're going to be able to watch this show and then you get to the show and you realize that you need to upgrade? Like, it happened to me once. I was watching a show on Apple TV. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this show on Apple TV. And I got ready to watch it and then it popped up on my screen and it said, well, in order to watch this show, you, don't, you, you, you need more than Apple TV. You need Apple TV+. Plus. I was like, here we go. I thought I had it. Or one day I was watching a game, and I thought it was on my ESPN subscription. And said, no, you can't watch this. You need more than regular ESPN. You need ESPN+. Plus. Okay, so I have to pay more. Or I was going to watch this show, <laughs> and I thought I could watch it on Disney. But like, no, you can't watch it on Disney. You need to pay a little extra for Disney+. Plus. Or you're sitting in your... <laughs> You're sitting in the lunchroom, and you're happy about your little iPhone 14. Then your little coworker comes in with that shiny new phone. And you say, what kind of phone is that? And they say, this old thing? This is an iPhone 14 Plus. And then you're like, oh, forget it. <laughs> that always seems to be an upgrade around the corner. And the same thing can happen with our faith. Satan can try to tempt us into signing up for Jesus plus. Jesus isn't enough, but you got to add to what Jesus did. But here's what we know. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus doesn't need us to add to his work. Because when we try to add to his work, what we're saying is we really have more faith in ourselves than Jesus. We go from putting our faith in Jesus in the finished work on the cross, for he said it is finished, to now putting our faith in self. And when we put that formula together, that equals nothing. But here's the good news. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In other words, Jesus is enough. He's always been enough, and he's always going to be enough. So cancel your subscription to Jesus plus. (laughs) Let's pray.
Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless sons, Jesus' name. Thanking you that it is finished. God, thanking you for your grace. Thanking you for your mercy. God, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters who are feeling the heavy burdens of the law on their back. I pray that you will remove those burdens. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are feeling guilt and shame today. God, that you would lift those burdens. Help us not to drift away from the beauty of what you have accomplished for us and get caught up in these house rules and, and these, these, these details that get us lost and confused. God, focus us on your good news and keep us there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm